of this morning, the subject matter, why every, every church needs a choir. Why every church needs a choir. Nehemiah chapter 12, and let's begin at verse 27. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, so it may sound a bit different, more contemporary, but I'm hoping it helps for us to establish a better understanding. For the dedication of the new wall of Jerusalem, the Levites throughout the land were asked to come to Jerusalem and to assist in the ceremonies. They were to take part in the joyous occasion with their songs of thanksgiving and with the music of the cymbals and the harps. The singers were brought together from the region around Jerusalem and from the various villages. Drop down to verse 31. I led Nehemiah, the leaders of Judah, to the top of the wall and organized two large choirs to give thanks. One of the choirs proceeded southward along the top of the wall to the Dung Gate. Drop down to verse 38. The second choir, giving thanks, went northward around the other way to meet them. I followed them together with the other half of the people along the top of the wall, past the tower of the ovens, to the broad wall. Amen. You may be seated. Why every church needs a choir. As I mentioned this morning, in year 2016, a colleague of mine who preaches for the American Baptist churches in New York was assigned a congregation in Anchorage, Alaska. Upon her arrival there, as she sits through the worship service, she made observation that in noticing that when it came time for singing, all of the music was transpired through the congregation. There was no choir listed on the program at all. Upon the completion of service, she decided to dialogue with the leaders and ask the question, where was the choir in the order of service? And they informed her that a previous pastor had taught the congregation and therefore persuaded them that only congregational music would be expressed in worship. That anything outside of congregational singing was unbiblical. It would perhaps argue from his standpoint that he misinterpret Galatians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5, misunderstanding how we are to make a joyful noise together and how we are to sing hymns, songs, and spiritual songs, i.e. his translation, that that only meant singing should be done by the congregation. She left that meeting wondering what she was going to do, so there's a group of us after graduation who vow to make sure we stay connected no matter where our ministries led us. We sort of text each other at least once or twice a week. She sent out a group text with one question. Since I now don't have a choir in this church, what do I do? 
My response was to wait and see because there were some music majors in our group, those individuals who knew music, and I wanted to wait and see exactly how they were going to respond to her question. But to my amazement, nobody responded for several days. So I decided i throw my hat and put in my two cents worth. And I didn't think it would be that valuable because I'm not a music major, I'm a theology major, but I did give her my perspective from the standpoint of understanding why a choir is needed from a theological perspective. And so I text her back, first of all, I said, I wanna know, what do you mean you don't know what to do? Growing up in the city of Philadelphia and in a Baptist congregation, if nothing else, mimic what you saw. Because at least you know that in every worship service, you've got to have a choir who stands as an intermediary, who sings to the glory of God, but who sings for us to give us inspiration that in return, we can leave out of a church different than the way that we came in. I said on top of that, you, is not a newbie at this business of pastoring a church. This is your third or fourth church that you have pastored in all of the previous churches. You knew that a choir existed. How is it that you don't know what to do in terms of having a choir in the church? And I said, here's what you might want to do. Number one, you want to take the book of Nehemiah and begin to retrain your congregation that that is an erroneous teaching that all music should be congregational music. You want to teach them from scripture that God not only admonishes us to sing all through scripture, Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We can also look at various passages like Psalm 149, verse 1, sing unto the Lord a new song. That's an admonishment to sing, but here in Nehemiah chapter 12, you see the establishment of a choir. And if that's not convincing enough, I'm going to show you in the text where David actually began the appointment of having choirs in worship when the temple was completed by his son, Solomon. And so I wrote back to her and I said, listen, uh, one thing you might want to do is start educating your congregation on the importance of having a choir, but secondly, find out from your congregation who wants to sing. Because somebody in that pew wants to be a part of a choir if you make it available. Third, I say, you might want to have some form of auditions to find out what gifts do you have because all throughout the congregation, there are often hidden gems that we don't know that exist and mainly it's because we haven't at least pushed for the opportunity for them to be known. And then I said, finally, do you have a minister of music in your congregation? And to my amazement, she responded, yes. And I said, well, I got a question for you. What are they doing? And if you have one, where is the support and the championing for making sure that we have choir music in our congregation? So I think you might want to fire her or fire him. Find someone who understands music and the importance of having both congregational as well as prepared choired music.
I hope y'all be a little bit better than that. The congregation I had this morning, 8 o'clock, they were the bomb. They caught this sermon like it wasn't nothing. I mean, I, was, I wasn't even a quarter of the way through, and they were already on board. Y'all look slow. Now, maybe I hadn't said the right thing, but I'm saying the same thing I said at 8 o'clock, and whoom, they caught it just like that. And I'm kind of hoping that the Spirit of the Lord sort of blow through here and y'all get on board real quick. And so I said, if you have a problem, here's your theological base. There's, there's two things that Nehemiah 12 tell us. One, there's a theological base, and two, there's a practical theological base. The theological base says, here's the God-ordained foundation of why you do what you're going to do. And the practical theological base says, here's the reason why you need to practically do this as a ritual on a regular basis, because both are are important when we talk about choir music within the congregational life. And I said, look at Nehemiah, and you'll discover that Nehemiah has two things that it's preeminent theme. Number one, they are challenged to not just return from the exile. Remember, they're in exile for 70 years. They're under Babylonian control, and now they are free. And through Ezra, they come back, as well as Zerubbabel, who leads them back to Jerusalem from Babylon. But they also inform Nehemiah, who asked the question, how are things in the city, that he is told that the city is in a bad shape. The people are in a bad shape. Most importantly, the wall of Jerusalem is burned down. And we need some leadership, someone who will step to the forefront and lead us in restoring what we lost through the captivity. Therein Nehemiah steps forth, begins to pray, and God begins to work in Nehemiah's prayer by giving Artaxerxes, the king of Cyprus, the heart who would give Nehemiah all of the supplies that he needed and gave him all of the political clout that he needed to get the economics to make sure that he get the wall rebuilt because the king says, I don't like the countenance that your face is depicting. Because Nehemiah was brokenhearted that the walls were burned. Oh, what do I do? And God led him, you must be the leader to restore the walls. Fast forward, Nehemiah 1 all the way to Nehemiah 9, Nehemiah 9, you'll discover that through those eight chapters, what does he do? He leads the people in restoring the wall. He has conflict in return. Some people were working against him. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Gershom were his enemies who were trying to make him feel that this effort would be futile, would be in vain. He perseveres through. He has to put together a security group that would watch the wall at night to make sure that the enemy doesn't come in and destroy what he's trying to build. But all, when all is said and done, we get to chapter 12, and in verse 27, Nehemiah realizes that one reason he tells us that we need a choir is, number one, you need a choir to celebrate on special occasions. Look at verse 31 and verse 38 and 37, and Nehemiah says, this is what I've done. I knew that the accomplishment of rebuilding the wall was critical to the people, but most importantly, we needed to celebrate how blessed we were and how God enabled us to be able to rebuild this wall, remember now, not in several years, but in 52 days. 
what should have taken them years to accomplish, yet they end up accomplishing it in 52 days. And Nehemiah said that is worthy of a celebration. And he further tells us what I did was I got together two choirs. I said, I'm going to have a choir that goes to the left and a choir that goes to the right. And the one that goes to the right is going to meet in the back and both choirs are going to meet together. And we are going to stand outside on the wall and we're going to lift our voices in celebration that we have been grateful and we are happy that God enabled us to do in 52 days what should have took us several years to accomplish. And one reason why I think we need a choir is because when you come into worship on Sunday morning, you ought to be able to lift your voice along with the choir and say, I thank God that what should have happened didn't happen. And then, then what did happen, I didn't think was going to happen. And yet the choir amazingly has the exact song that needs to be sung that blesses your heart to remind you how good God has been to you. And it reminds us that you need to celebrate special occasions. So if you just got to your birthday, ain't no need of you sitting around wondering what I'm going to do. Lift up your hands and say, Lord, I thank you for another year's journey. If you just got through a wedding anniversary, Lord, I thank you for bringing us through another year. If your child just made it through another year of work, Lord, I thank you that I got a job a year later. Lord, if you just made it through another year of college, Lord, I thank you that I made it through another year. You just came through another year of high school. God, I thank you that I got a high school journey and that I'm learning. You need to celebrate and a choir can help you celebrate it will remind you how good God has been to you and so the Bible says that Nehemiah got himself together two large choirs and he told them let's stand on the wall look at the text closely verse 31 and 37 I believe it is stand closely to the wall and let's lift up our voices verse 38 the second choir let's join behind together and let's lift our voices now one reason why he did that here's the reason why you need a choir he did that because he wanted folk to understand we gonna sing outside at the wall where our victory was accomplished but we also want to sing to show the enemy that that what you meant for evil, God turned it around and worked it for the good. That's why you ought to go, listen, every time you meet that bad supervisor, you ain't got a copper attitude. Don't say anything bad. Don't cuss them out. Just start singing a glorious song unto the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continuously be in my mouth. Oh, come, let us magnify the Lord together. You start singing out and you're telling the enemy, I don't care what you meant for evil. Look what my God did. Shut you down and put you under my feet. And I'm just rejoicing because God has been that good that I just don't have time to be mad at you, to cop an attitude at you, to talk about you. I'm not going to bash you on Facebook. I'm not going to put your man out there in social media. I'm just going to pray for you and I'm going to celebrate how good God continues to be unto me. So he stands by the gate. And he tells all of his singers, I want you to sing like you've never seen before because I know Sanballat, Tobiah, and Gershom going to show up. And what I want them to see is not just a finished wall, 
but I want them to see the people of God celebrating a God who knows how to bring you through. Sometimes God does not deliver you from, but God manages to deliver you through. That's why, have you noticed that when you pray, God, get me out of this, God doesn't get you out of it, but yet God gives you the grace, and God gives you the strength, and God gives you the peace, and God gives you the direction, and God gives you the hope, and God gives you the power to persevere the storm. And you ask yourself the question, Lord, why am I going through this? And not until you get all the way through the storm, on the other side of the storm, you turn around and look back, I don't have to wonder how I got over. I know how I made it. It's the God. God that I serve who built a bridge over troubled waters and who enabled me to do exceedingly and abundantly above all I could ever ask or think. Nehemiah says you need a choir because you need to celebrate. And here's the reason why. We need not just a choir, but you need a mass choir. Now, that's the theological base. Now, here is the practical theological base where as to why we need a choir. Number one, we need a choir because it provides opportunities for people to serve in the church. See, here's the good thing about the choir. Even if you can't carry a tune, we can hide you behind somebody else who really can sing. But most importantly, we got you out of the pew and into the choir and what we are eventually going to do is to break down the fear that you have in standing before people and eventually if we keep you in the choir long enough and if we can get you to transition from merely being a choir member to being a choir participant eventually we're going to get you to stand before the microphone and you're going to begin to belt out what God has given hey, did you notice let me show you how encouraging choirs are and the congregation is to acquire. Did you notice that when those two young ladies came here to sing that song? Did you notice that when the young lady started in her solo, that when you began to clap, her voice strengthened and she got louder? Because what happens is when you see inspiration, it helps decrease the fear that's living on the inside of you or the nervousness. See, you can get nervous sometimes and it just ruins everything you want to do. And what happens is it's like anything else. Practice, practice, constantly coming before you will eventually alleviate some of that fear, some of that nervousness. I hope you never lose fear because I always want to maintain. Someone asks me all the time, when you preach, you look like you just enjoy. I do, but I'm always afraid. I'm always fearful. Why? Because I never want to lose the fact that I'm in a very sacred moment and a sacred space. And I don't want to ever get so comfortable that I can think I can do this on my own because I've come to realize when I stand here and look at faces that are looking at me, I need the power of God to help me persevere through some of these sermons. That's the reason why God tells Jeremiah, be not afraid of their faces because some folk can look you into despair. And when you're young and you're not quite accustomed to standing before people all the time, what you are attempting to look at is faces. That's the reason why I used to tell us when we do public speaking. I don't think they do it anymore. But this is what they used to tell us. When you look at the people, pretend that they're naked. Now, I got to doing that a couple of times. Then I come to realize I really don't want to pretend <laughs> that that person is actually naked. 
The idea was pretend that they are there unclothed so that you can sort of rid yourself of some of the fear. Choir ministry will help you do that. Because when you get into this group setting, it allows you to be able to slowly work your way into understanding how you not only have ministry, but you have a gift. And sometimes the gift is not known. It's because we have to have persons who will draw it out of us. So you need a choir because of celebration. But watch this. Secondly, you need a choir for confirmation. When you read the text closely, Nehemiah says that he knew that once the choir had finished singing out at the gate, look at verse 40. Verse 40 says that Nehemiah told the choir, let's now get together and proceed into the temple of God. Let's go into worship, and watch this, the word proceed there is a Hebrew word, for all my traditionists, you're going to love this, it's a Hebrew word that means let us procession into the church. Now you remember old school church, that the choir always processioned in on Sunday morning. I'm all for procession if you want to do it. But there's a couple of things I'm almost certain that was not existing or that did not practice. And I think that Nehemiah is trying to admonish us. Make sure you get this straight before you start processioning. Number one, make sure the people are on time. If you're going to line up for the choir, we're going to procession in. Make sure everybody is there that needs to line up. Number two, make sure you practice how you're going to walk in so we can be in sync. One thing that just is hilarious to me on one hand and, and sort of anger on the other is to watch one person going this way come down across and the other person going this way come down. If y'all going to rock, rock correctly. Make sure somebody, and here's what I like about a director. Hey, get it right. Because nobody wants to see you out of sync. But watch this. But when you are in sync, the congregation gets up and starts rocking along with you because everybody wants to work with something that's working. And Nehemiah knew if we left the wall, we need to proceed into the house of God and celebrate in the house because it's the people of God who need to be confirmed that what we did for the kingdom of God, God is pleased with it. So look at verse 40. Verse 40 says that they were not only giving thanks, look what he said. He got the two choirs together and told them, give thanks, which means that a choir to be effective has to understand how appreciative they must be of the opportunity that God gives to serve in ministry. Uh-huh, y'all got quiet on me. Here's what I mean. It's a shame for a choir to take for granted that you have an opportunity in time granted by God and not realize if it hadn't been for God's mercy, your time could be elsewhere, like spent in eternity. But instead, you have a moment to which you can make an effect 
on someone's life who came into church this morning with a heavy burden on their shoulders, who came in with the world pressing on them, who came in with a sickness, who came in with a disease, who came in with a bad report, who came in not knowing what the next move of life's going to be. And to listen to you might be the very word of inspiration they need to leave out of this place different than the way they came in. And Nehemiah says, I want you to proceed, verse 40, into the church where they took their places, where they stood on their ground, which meant this. The confirmation said, have you ever been in worship and you knew what your experience had been that week and the choir sung the very exact song that you had been humming all week long. Or they sung the exact song that spoke to your situation. And you got in there, you started, I can't believe it. How did they know that's what I wanted to hear? where they knew because during the week they had gotten themselves prepared and I'm just a believer that God's spirit had directed the direction to which the song that needed to be sung was sung and they got it down packed. They rehearsed it and rehearsed it and everything was on point and most importantly, everyone knew their role that they needed to play in the choir, which means this. If we're going to have a choir, here's your confirmation. When you got a choir, if you are soprano, stay in the soprano section. If you are alto, hang out with the altos. Don't cross over unless you're asked to by the director. Remember your role. Because the objective is to create a unisense where when you sing, we hear a harmonious presentation of groups of people who have meshed their voices together with a sense of discipline, which means you got to come to rehearsal. Is that, is, that a rev is that a revelation? Is that a revelation? I mean, because some people think um, the real spiritual folk who live in heaven's address and never come back down to earth, who really believe that choir ministry is an osmosis. It's, it's just all, all you got to do is come together and pray, Lord, give us the right song and give us the right voice harmony and give the musicians the right timing so that when we come to worship on Sunday morning, it'll all fall in sync. And I'm just here to tell you, I, I, I hate to burst your bubble, it ain't going to happen. You got to work at that thing. You got to come to rehearsal. You got to toil through the tautness of being able to get your part right. The musicians got to know their timing. The choir's got to know their timing in terms of parts. You got to know when to go up and when to go down, when to stay silent. You got to know how to do it. And the only way to do that is to rehearse. Because when you are not, I mean, I told him this morning, I'm going to tell you, a long time ago, a member told me the pastor should be at every choir rehearsal. And I said, well, you know, what's so interesting about that is, let me just help you understand real clearly, real quickly. 
I don't need to be at your rehearsal. Want to know why? Two reasons. Number one, if I'm at your rehearsal, I have absolutely nothing to contribute. I don't direct a choir, I don't teach voice parts, and I ain't playing nobody's instrument. And secondly, I don't have to attend any rehearsal. I just sit right here in my little fat center seat and I just listen to you sing on Sunday morning and I can tell whether or not you had rehearsal during the week of night. Because if you sound like a hot mess, that tells me you probably didn't have no rehearsal at all. But if you sound good, that meant you must have worked. I'm amazed at people who want to have a great choir, but you don't want to work. You can't talk about you want to be like the Mississippi Mass Choir. Do you know how long they have to work at that? You can't follow a Ricky Dillon if you're not willing to work. You got to work. Kirk Franklin worked them folk. That's the reason why they sing so well. And that don't mean we're going to come in for an hour. And once the hour is over with, we leave. That's not how you work. I'm just here to tell you, if you want something to be perfected, you got to work at it. I wish I could tell you, only an hour is all I set aside to read and to study. That's it. Once I get that out, that's done. It don't happen that way. Sometimes it's two hours. Sometimes it's three hours. I can hear y'all now, boy. And particularly people here at Zion. We are so conscious of time, and that's not because of the time. That's just the way you've been trained. Stick to the time. Gotcha. But if you're trying to perfect something, it might require more than the time on the clock. I know I said we shouldn't have, I, I shouldn't say, I know we may say, whoever the choir director is or whoever the music, whoever the music, music we may decide to only have a rehearsal one hour. But listen, all I got to tell you is, one reason why you got to have a choir, it's a place where God can breathe the spirit of God. And I'm here to tell you, I know some choirs that have church during rehearsal, and when they get involved in that song, and the spirit of God starts breathing on them, they don't care what time it is, they get caught up in the spirit of God, and when they they come out on Sunday morning, they ready to meet the wiles of the devil. And God gives them confirmation. There's a third reason. Nehemiah says not only do we, we need a choir to celebrate and we need a choir for confirmation, but we need a choir for community. Look what he did. He chose people from everywhere in the church. If you would, drop down to verse number 43 and listen to what the text says. Many sacrifices were offered on that joyous day for God had given the people great cause for joy. God had given the people great cause for joy. God had given the people great cause for joy. God had given the people great cause for joy. Some of us sit and worship and wait for the preacher to say something profound before you actually begin to celebrate. Listen to this text. All they did was rebuild a wall with their hands. When you read Nehemiah, you'll notice that you will not find in the book that God did this and God did that and God moved upon this people and God stricken that people. What you'll find is a group of people who had to put their hands to the gospel plow and make the business work of rebuilding the wall and they now 
now have reason to celebrate and not only is God confirming it but God is showing them how it's important you understand the imperativeness of community and that's why God gave them great joy and I'm simply trying to say you don't have to wait for nobody to give you great joy when you think about the goodness of Jesus and all that the Lord has done for you that should be enough great joy for you to celebrate look at the text it says in verse 43 that the women and the children participated in the celebration and the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard from a long ways away God created such communion in the choir here's a practical theological reason why you need a choir because the choir promotes teamwork. Teamwork in the choir. Of course, there's maturity in the nature of the choir, but notice everyone has a part in the choir. That's what helps create the overall sound. It seldom hurts for believers to learn how to work together in any capacity. And the choir is a great depiction of how you can work together, watch this, even over generational differences. That's why I believe Nehemiah argued for a mass choir, because in a mass choir, you're stretching beyond generations. It's wonderful. We got young people, we got older people, we got middle-aged people, we got small children, toddlers, whatever they are. But isn't it something when we all come together? Why? Because when we get to glory, there are no male chorus. There's no women's choir. There's no youth choir. There's no children's choir. When we all get to heaven, what a time we will be all in the same choir. So the choir is needed because it not only promotes teamwork, but it's, multi, it's a multi-generational fellowship. On top of that, it promotes diversity. Have you noticed in this choir, they don't all look the same? They may be all in the same age range, but look at them. They all look different. They all are different. There's a diversity that has to exist among them. Have you noticed in the choir, everybody doesn't sing alto, everybody doesn't sing bass, everybody doesn't sing tenor. There's a diversity there. Your choir helps you understand the importance of how we can work in the same context with different gifts. But here's another practical reason why you need a choir. If there are 20 seats in this choir loft that's occupied, that means there are 20 seats in the pews that are vacant. That's an evangelistic tool. That means that we have to work to clear up any discrepancies so that we can fill those 20 seats and move those. Here's the great thing about moving them. Here's the great thing about progress. You may sing in the choir today, this is hypothetically speaking. Mrs. Howard, Stacy, two little girls now. What wonderful joy it will be five, ten years from now, her little girls are singing in a choir. 
See that generational difference? And when she grows and develops and moves on in her life of maturity, her girls grow up to be young uh, women, and they have their own children, and then their children sing in a choir. That's birthing generational music. That's what we used to push for when I was coming up in church. You started singing Christmas and Easter songs, and you started Christmas poems and Easter poems, and, and there wasn't no choice. They made you do it. You didn't have no choice. You know, grandmama didn't ask you, were you going to be in the Easter program? Here's your part. Start working on it now. And didn't nobody ask you nothing. But there's a different comprehension of ministry now than it was then. Church meant something different. Because the objective was to create community. So much so that we held each other accountable. And here's accountability. You can be in the choir and let Miss So-and-so who sits on that side of the church see you act up. And don't make her have to get up from that pew and come down that aisle and see you in that quality. Or don't be occupying the pew and she up in the choir. And they just look at you while, while they're singing that hymn. And they gave you a look that just sunk you down to the bottom of that pew. And you knew that if Sister So-and-so correct, there were two whippings coming. She gonna correct you right then. And then mama was gonna get you once we got home. This is totally off the subject, but check this out. Here's the one thing I didn't like. I didn't mind them whipping me. This is what I did not like. My grandmother, uh, this is old school. You, 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 if, if you ain't never had this, don't. It's a, it's a cruel thing. My grandmother would put you in a headlock and take her knuckles and go across your forehead. And you talking about painful. I'd rather for her to beat me. At least I knew that would be over in the mat. But she would just go back and forth with these words slowly. Didn't I tell you to sit your behind down in that pew when we at church? Don't you act up like you ain't got no home training no more. It just went on and on and on. And when she got done, you had the worst headache you ever had in your life. But I tell you what it did. When you came back to that pew the next Sunday, you set yourself there and paid attention directly to what was going on ahead of you because it was community. Nehemiah gathered everyone together to sing. Here's my final point. He did it that they also might have communion. Listen to the text and listen to it very closely. Uh, and here is my underscoring that I gave my dear friend, 
to teach her congregation, this is why you need a choir. If you drop down to verse 45, the text says, they perform the service of their God and the service of purification as commanded by David and his son Solomon. That just simply means, here's the glory of a choir. When they singing the right song, it will lead us to repentance. That's what purification meant. It caused me to want to go back and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I repent for the wrongs that I've done. Now, we sing really to excite people. We sing less to empower people. And as a result, people are ecstatic the way we sing, but they got no power once they leave our presence. But here's the reason why. Here's the real reason why you got to have a choir. Look at verse uh, 46. The custom of having a choir director, look at this, to lead the choirs in hymns of praise and thanksgiving to God began long ago in the days of David and Asaph. That means that David ushered in the perspective for us to have choirs in temple worship because he knew when people come together, they need more in terms of inspiration. So the word of God is the instruction that you need. But the singing of God is the inspiration that you need. And he knew that if you got a choir together, it would do something in terms of the worship. And that's why every church needs a choir because you need a set group of people who are committed to inspiring the people. And you need to do it with authenticity. I'm going to close by saying this. One of the fears I have that we're shifting so in gospel music now is there's no distinctiveness to its sound. It sounds just like R&B. So I'm a little puzzled and uh, at somewhat irritated, but not so irritated, that when I hear Charlie Wilson being played on a gospel station, just because Charlie says something about God, does that qualify Charlie now as a gospel artist? And where's our distinctive sound? That's why I'm old school. Give me Mahalia Jackson who needed no instruments, who needed no music, could just stand there and belt out the gospel. One other thing that they did in the Old Testament that I know that they did here in Nehemiah is they came together to create unisons by way of robing themselves in the same garment. Now, I know nowadays we all say we don't like robes. Well, I shouldn't say we all. Some of us say we don't like robes because they hot. I, I feel you. I got on one that I'm about to burn up in this joker. But watch this. It's, it's, it's helpful if we work at being unified for two reasons. Number one, have you noticed if we say we're going to wear black and white, somebody going to show up with off-white or a different shade of black or a different pattern of black or a different kind of white blouse or white shirt. 
It's going to be different. It's not going to be unison. If you're wearing a robe, it doesn't matter. I know that's old school, but there's something about if you're wearing that, we don't have to worry about the dress code. And that's the second issue. We have to be careful because the way we come to church now is a lot more looser than we used to in the old time because we have less of a dress code now. And the only problem about that is we have to be very careful because Paul says, be careful about what you do lest you become a stumbling block to your brother or your sister. So I don't need to see all that and all this in a robe, it doesn't matter. It's all covered up. And, and brothers, I, I don't need you to come with your shirt hanging halfway open like you know you, you're from 1972. It's, it's history. It's, it's gone, bro. Put the robe on. Okay. But the robe created communion. L listen to the text. Listen to the text. It created communion in the sense that it caused them to recognize the same objective. And when they sung, they sung to blow the rafters out. Now, listen at this text. I'm going to read it for you from the Eugene Peterson's translation. It says at the end of verse 42, the singers directed by Jerahaziel made the rafters ring. That meant that when they sung, they were in such communion with each other that their voices penetrated outside the walls and they could be heard from miles away. Now, that's hard for us to do now in the contemporary church because we have all of these different kinds of construction and we have a manner in which we buffet sounds or better said, muffet sounds. But you remember back in the day in the old church when we didn't have these kind of steel walls and we had that wooden frame church and we would heist the, not, not raise, heist the windows up in the summertime and we had that white sheet across the communion because we didn't want the flies to blow the communion elements and we had the windows up and yet when we were praising God you could hear us a mile away because when the people of God came together there was a sense of communion they ate off of the same bread not physical, not the physical bread they were eating off of the same spiritual bread it's as if they knew each other so well here's what a choir does a choir can create the importance and the imperativeness of being into one's space uh, the year that the Lakers were, uh, I'm sorry, the Chicago Bulls were three-peats. The question was asked to Michael Jordan, how, how, how do y'all win three times in a row? Michael said, we know each other. I know where he's going to be on this play. I don't even have to look. I know how he's going to run it. I know in a fast break where he's going to be, we know each other that well. We not only sleep together, we eat together, we practice together, we know each other. 
We've been so duped in the church that we try not to know each other because we don't want nobody to know our business. And I'm here to tell you, choirs that are successful, they have a sense of continuity and cornea. They have communion together. They have togetherness. They know each other's pulse beat. They know how one's going to play in terms of their part. They know each other so well that when they sing, it sounds like one full voice. And that tells the church we can actually operate like one full unit by watching the choir. Listen to what the text says. The women and the children raise their happy voices with all the rest. Jerusalem's jubilation was heard far away. I close with this. What would happen if we had no choir? What would happen if we had no musicians? First Chronicles 15, I don't have time to tell you about it, but First Chronicles 15 says when you got a music ministry, it ought to be loud. Now, that was a shocker when I went back and read it. Like, what? Considering that we complain now that the musicians are too loud. But the Bible says, lift up your instrument with loud praise unto God. And I want to contend that you need a choir because they need to show us what happens when you lift God's name up to the highest of your voice. When I was singing in the world, boy, I mean, I could sing, and I mean, I sung like Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah, I could. I could. I knew all, I knew all the MJ hits. When he was a little boy, I was a little boy. See, so I came up with my, I knew all of them. ABC, I'll be there. You name it, I knew them all. I used to practice in the middle of my grandmama's living room floor. I had my little spoon as my microphone. I knew them all. But none of that was there with me when I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. None of that will meet you when you're facing the winds of adversity. You better learn how to lift your voice to the highest for the kingdom of God and tell the Lord, I bless your name at all times. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Father, save somebody today that might call on your name. Bring them to this space.